Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Indeed, it is the get right here on 105.3 The Fan, your home of the World Series champion Texas Rangers mm. and America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, Alec Medford and Reginald Atatua, and Rigo Mendoza holding things down for you, the turn it on, leave it on listener. We appreciate you so very much for joining us here tonight all the way until 11 p.m., it's when we'll get up on out of here, but not before we get you more of your favorite live and local sports content here in the mighty Metroplex. The truckwreck.com text line is 877-881-1053, 877-881-1053 to get involved in the conversation. We are also live on Twitch and YouTube, twitch.tv slash Dallas Fan Cam or 105.3 The Fan on YouTube if you want to see our beautiful faces and people yesterday saying we might have the best hair duo uh, on the station. Hmm. So. You- you can uh, you can test that theory for yourself. Let us know. 877-881-1053. But uh, plenty to get to as in case you missed it because I almost did just driving into work. Mark Cuban is no longer majority owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He sold his stake to Miriam Adelson, uh, the widow of Sheldon Adelson. Them two uh, were some big names in the casino business out in Vegas and still are. Uh, with a net worth that of probably about seven times of Mark Cuban. So they're doing business. Mark Cuban remains the head of basketball operations, so he's still making decisions while he's getting some new money in the building, at least that's all we know for now. Hopefully, as the rest of the week dwindles on, we will find out more. But uh, we do have a conversation that we want to get into about these Dallas Cowboys. Some interesting reading that I found over the weekend coming from Blogging the Boys, our friends over there under RJ Ochoa and company. This comes specifically from David Howman over there, uh, putting together a nice little analytical piece, looking at the Cowboys' offense and if it is reaching its final form and some of the numbers that might suggest that it is. And we pose that question to you. Do you think it is or has reached its final form? 877-881-1053. Let us know on the truckwreck.com text line. And some of the measurables behind it was uh, the relatively quiet day against the Panthers, you know, quote, only scoring three offensive touchdowns, but they still posted their third best EPA per play uh, for the week out of the entire NFL. And then four days later, you see them steamroll uh, the commanders putting up five touchdowns and they averaged a ridiculous 8.6 yards per play. So... In those two performances just a few days apart from each other, 
the true strength of the Cowboys offense is starting to become apparent and you're starting to see it with some of the numbers behind the passing game and how it's affecting the run game. Uh, So you look at the passing game specifically for C.D. Lamb in their first three games after the bye. Lamb had at least 11 catches and 150 yards in each game. Then Brandon Cooks also went off in the third of those games, compiling 173 yards against the Giants. Playing on the road in a difficult environment, though the Cowboys couldn't replicate that same success, success excuse me, against the Panthers. Lamb had just six catches for 38 yards, and Prescott himself didn't even hit 200 passing yards, but the offense managed to move the chains anyway, as nearly a third of Prescott's passes on the day went for a first down, and it also helped uh, that the Panthers' defense gave them five first downs via penalty. So all that... Uh, Taken into account here, Tony Pollard scored his first touchdown in that game since week one and averaged 5.1 yards a carry, a a much higher mark than the 3.9 yards per carry he was averaging prior to that game. So why is this starting to open up? Why is the complementary offense starting to come to life? Well, it might be because of the vertical downfield passing threat on the outsides of the field, and even up the seam with guys like Jake Ferguson. Because they're trying to make a concerted effort to move the football vertically down the field, Tony Pollard is starting to see an emptier box more times than not. Mm. And the numbers behind it is, uh, in the last two games alone, Pollard has run into a box with eight or more defenders, on just 4.1% of his carries. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the, the run game has absolutely looked better over the last few weeks. That's something that we can attest to. And one of the things, like anecdotally, because obviously you're bringing up the stats uh, as brought to us by Blogging the Boys, and shout out to all the uh, fine men and women that do their work over there. Um, one of the things we noted on this very program was that it seemed like there was a, and not just seemed, like the, the numbers would support it, the directions that they were running. It seemed like they were running into in between the tackles and particularly in the interior of this line a lot. And that did not seem like it was being fruitful because you were not necessarily blocking to the second level and such. The idea that they've, you know, gotten these boxes to be smaller, like, you know, lighter boxes that you're running against. And then on top of that, feels like they're getting outside a little bit more and allowing those big boys to run. And even when they when they do run, whether they run it outside, which they are doing more, or if they're getting uh, up the middle still, they're allowing those guys, and those guys are getting to the second level blocking linebackers and safeties, which is always going to produce more uh, more yards in these instances. So, uh, you know, the running game is definitely more effective. And the big, I mean, I was with you when you mentioned the idea of throwing downfield. Offensively, the West Coast was very much a lot of slants. You saw some hitches, things like that, especially in the zone, just kind of guys sitting down against a zone defense. And one of the things you see now is you're seeing guys with opportunities to catch the ball and continue to get yak, right? That's one of the things that's definitely shifted. And so um, I wish I was better at working like this pro football reference because over the entirety of the season, the Cowboys sit about midway uh, in the middle of the pack when it comes to yards uh, or yak, yards per, uh, after catch per attempt. I'd love to see what that is over the last five, six weeks because I imagine that's significantly different. If you just look at offense when it comes to, in general, EPA, those types of things, this is a number one offense passing football. Yeah. EPA, uh, and then all, it's a number one offense, just EPA in general, uh, over the last uh, six weeks, thereabouts. And so you can see the ways in which this offense has been efficient for one, but then also like the ways that they're getting the ball to their playmakers, the ways that they're, you know, finding the right guys, getting them to the ball. And the, 
Red Zone still leaves a little bit to be desire, desire yeah. but they're doing that better than they previously were as well. If you want a little bit of context on the EPA that Reggie was mentioning, got some numbers since the bye week. The Cowboys averaging uh, .243 EPA per play. For the full season, the 49ers' vaunted offense uh, leads the league at .157 EPA per play. So you're looking at a pretty sizable difference there, and that's how outrageously good the offense has been lately. Even their biggest weakness, like Reg- Reggie mentioned, uh, the red zone offense has been fixed to an extent since the bye. The Cowboys are scoring a touchdown on 69.6% nice. Nice, of their red zone trips. The Chargers rank, rank second the full regular season so far at 66.7% red zone touchdown rate. So shout out Kellen Moore if you want. But the numbers since the bye week have certainly gotten better. And I think you can look at all the numbers and everything, but it comes down to the eye test matching up for me, and you're starting to definitely see it, especially with that Commanders game on Thanksgiving. It just felt like Mike McCarthy's play calling, and even especially to me the situational football, was just almost perfect, which is something that we have hammered him for the past few years about, is the situational football, even as recently as that Philadelphia game. I was really critical about his play calling on that final offensive drive that had a chance to take that game away from the Eagles, but... Ever since then, you're starting to see some really good play calling on the end of Mike McCarthy. Give credit wherever it's due to Brian Schottenheimer as well. But it seems like the situational football, the complimentary football, is starting to come into play now for that offense visually. And the numbers are actually matching it as well as the win column. Yeah, no, I mean, the play style is is different. It, it, we, I mean, it's noticeably different. Obviously, I talked about the different styles of the ways in which they're running to different places, the ways in which they're passing in different ways. And you've seen the ways that, you know, Dak Prescott has looked more comfortable, even utilizing his legs in, in such a way where I feel like it's necessary in the modern NFL to be able to, like, not just, you know, stand in the pocket and deliver and navigate the pocket, but if you can't go pick up a first down with your legs, I feel like you can't play NFL in the league anymore. Yeah. And one thing we've seen, especially a lot more lately, is Dak Prescott looking around and going, all right, they have done a good job of, you know, mitigating our attempts at going down the field, but you know what I can still do? I can go pick up this five, this six, and get us a first down and get us a new set of downs, and we can start doing this over again. This offense is really a problem for any defense that comes up against it. And this will, you know, Thursday will be an opportunity to test that in somewhat against the Seahawks. But then the the real big test is watching, you know, watching this team against the Eagles because they did play really well uh, the first time against the Eagles. They just didn't get the job done. It feels like now you're playing at a certain level where let's see if you can actually finish this off because, I mean, over the last how many weeks, you're you're offensively scoring in, at an incredible level. I mean, I believe your, your point, offensive point scores, not considering the fact that Deron Bland has been adding in every week himself uh, scoring points, but I think your offensive points are something like 27 points per game offensively, right? Like that in and of itself is something that is incredible and adds a level of pressure to the other team as well. So, um, no, nah, man, this does, I mean, if it's not, if it's not hit, it's uh, you know, the, the high water mark for this offense. Good God, what is the high water mark for this offense, right? Because yeah. you, you, like I mentioned, you've seen, and it seemed like you kind of had to start every piston in and of itself, but you've seen uh, uh, Ferguson and Schoonmaker in a little bit lately yeah. get theirs and be able to attack the seam. Obviously, we know what CeeDee Lamb can do, and he's shown it. You saw them get uh, the Hunter. You saw them get Brandon Cooks. Jump started the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe you get the Michael Gallup game, right? What else are you? So Tony Pollard has shown that you know. Okay, there's still something in there. Like I, 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 I don't know what else you are looking to see from this offense. Um, besides, like, all right, let's be more effective in the red zone 
And after that, like, yeah, absolutely. All, you know, all engines seem to be firing. Yeah, the only thing that people are just going to point to outside of the red zone is they're going to be like, okay, everything's there. Beat good teams. Yeah. And you've got a chance to go against, yes, a mathematically winning team in the Seattle Seahawks on Thursday. So you have your first true, I, I, don't, I don't even know if I want to say true, but you have your first test against a team that has a pedigree this season of they're going to win more games than lose. And you'll get to see what it's like at home again. And maybe they can add on to that insane point differential that they have at home this season. But you're going to have the gauntlet starting up here going into December of going against really good teams. And it's just nice that you're starting to see things clicking against, I know it's inferior opponents, but these are still NFL teams that you're having to go against and execute a game plan. The game plan seems to be in line with what they have been trying to tell us all season, all training camp, of what they want to do. I don't know. We've, we've heard different things from what they want to do. Now, one of the things I can give them some level of credit for is um, the likes of all the fellows on 105 through the fan that absolutely spent time um, in training camp and got their eyes all over this. There was times early on in the season that were like, we saw more from what this team practiced in, um, in you know, a training camp in Oxnard, and we're not seeing all those things. Maybe you're seeing more of those things now. But it definitely seemed like the way that Mike McCarthy wanted to run this offense is very is very different from ultimately what it looks like after the bye week. And so I don't know how much it's like, yo, you know, props for planning ahead and giving yourselves an opportunity to grow. Or maybe, and I think this is more likely, is looking up and going, this is not working. How do we adjust this? How do we steal some things from around the league? Is like a copycat league. How do we make, uh, you know, go back to some of the things that are a little bit more effective, particularly with Dak Prescott, that make it more comfortable. But they did all those things. And now you're in a place where it's looking really good. Can I take a second real quick? Yes. To um, stop down on, you heard me when I when I mentioned Brandon Cooks and what I called him first before I said his actual name. Yeah. What I call him? You did say the hunter, didn't you? The, did I say the hunter or did I say the archer? Yeah, I think I said the archer because Swaggy Booties on the Twitch chat said the archer, question mark. No, you said Hunter. Did that, I say Hunter? Yeah. Okay, my bad, my bad, yeah. my bad. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Because cool. I did I mean the Archer. Um, so my bad to Brandon Cooks. That is one of the coldest celebrations in the game, though. I love it. I think it's fine. I think it's great. I don't know, I don't know about the coldest, but I also don't know like that I'm necessarily the one to like grade the dope celebrations. The I, thing is, guys change them up so much now. They don't do the same thing anymore, except for like big runs or big catches. Huh. I, I like that he has a consistent same celebration every time he scores. That's kind of a lost art. You're starting to see a lot of it, which I love the team celebrations and the coordinated stuff. I love it. I'm a big fan of it. But I kind of do miss the signature moves. Yeah, like the, the idea that I know this dude by what he does. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Had not considered that. Yeah. For me, it's between that one and the C.J. Stroud one. Yeah, C.J. Stroud is nice. What does C.J. Stroud do again? I, f- I know I've seen it, but yeah. it doesn't immediately jump to mind right now. I forget the name of it. I'm totally blanking on the name. The left, right, I think is what it's called. Like he kind of does like the little. There's Snoop like a dog. There's an actual one word name, and I'm the squabble. Yeah. Squabble. That's yes. it. Yeah, the squabble. Yeah, and that's why I just I I pray for the Tank Dell to CJ Stroud connection every time I stop down for a Texans game because I just want to see them in unison. It's great. It's great work. So there's a look into the Cowboys' offense and if they are reaching their final form. And from uh, the 2-4, to be fair, beating the good teams is the most important thing to do. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's just they need to be in front of you, right? Like, yeah. that's that's the thing is, yeah, 
would love to see them beat the good teams. Right now, the schedule is as such, right? And yeah. so you have to go through the Seattle Seahawks for the time being. If you want to choose to you know, view them as good, cool. If you don't, all right. But ultimately, that's the game that's going to be here on, on Thursday night right here on 105 through the fan. And then we can get to Philly week, you know, part due. Ooh. And then we can do the thing. We can do that thing again. But at this Ooh. point, I know that everybody's tired of like, beat good teams. Because like, I can't do anything about yeah, that. Yeah, we yet. can't do anything about it. We just got to sit here and watch. And we're getting there. Trust us. The schedule is as such. We will be getting to Philly week soon. I can't wait for Philly week, man. That's going to be such a chaotic week of radio. Looking forward to it. Wait, what, what's, what's your favorite like uh, trademark celebration? Because somebody brought up, uh, got to bring the cabbage patch. Uh, TD celebration back, and so I'm like, all right, let's 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 walk down memory lane if you would like uh, signature celebration. Because mm. I was like, we can go individual celebrations, but then that's a whole different thing. I feel like signature celebration is the way we have to go, right? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd have to sit and ponder on that. That's a great idea. Maybe I'll get back to you later. Very maybe, good. Maybe like 10:20 or something. No problem. Who knows? Uh, coming up next on the get right. I have an interesting question to ask the Tolos out there. 877-881-1053 on the truckwreck.com text line, Twitch, and YouTube. Do you think MLB teams are starting to move towards the same blockbuster roster building tactics that the NFL and NBA have adopted? An interesting piece of audio from a well-credited source that you're going to hear coming up on the other side on the Get Right on 105 Through the Fan. This segment of the Get Right is brought to you by Frankel and Frankel. Life is unpredictable and accidents happen. Frankel and Frankel are the go-to attorneys for car and truck wrecks in the DFW. And if your loved one has been injured in an accident, contact Frankel and Frankel for a free consultation at truckwreck.com or call 214 or 817-333-3333. Back here on the Get Right on 105.3, the fan about to get you some baseball talk because an interesting piece of sound coming from MLB Network Radio yesterday about a star player that happens to play in this state. Is he going to be on the move? And are MLB teams finally caving in to the same blockbuster roster building tactics as the other sports leagues? 877-881-1053. Let us know on the truckrick.com text line, but do want to shout out and remind you guys that uh, this coming Sunday, Mm. coming up fast, we do have Jared Sandler's annual Swinging for a Cause event. This time it's going big time. At Globe Life Field. Single tickets wait, are still wait, wait, available. Wait, wait, wait. Globe Life Field. Who plays there? The Texas Rangers. The World Series That's champion. That's right. That's right. Texas Rangers. That's right. And guess what? Single tickets are still available if you want to attend that way. And you will be on the field for all kinds of games and events. So many cool things happening. And if you go to 105throughthefan.com slash Sandlot, you can view the auction page, which is already live for all of the different uh, signed memorabilia and experiences, including one where you can go chill with us, myself, Alec Medford, Reggie Atatula, and the three-time Hall of Famer Chris Arnold at the porch later on next year uh, if you want to bid on that, among Maybe many other guess. things. Yeah. Yeah. So there are plenty of things uh, within your price range and plenty of uh, fun to be had on Sunday. So we hope to see you there at Swinging for a Cause at Globe Life Field, the home of your world champion, Texas Rangers. But... Speaking of baseball, I want to run this sound for you. This comes from 
MLB Network Radio, Sirius XM. Uh, Jim Duquette, he was a former GM of the New York Mets back in the early 2000s. And he's a guy, he's been staying active in the media scene and whatnot, very plugged in uh, from his general managing past. And they were talking about, somehow they got on the topic of Alex Bregman. And he had this to say about Bregman's future in Houston. I think there is a chance that he may not even be playing in Houston this year. Like, you start to hear his name mentioned in trade rumors, and we haven't seen it much out there, but I know, I I can say this. Quietly, quietly, if I'm Dana Brown, I can't re-sign him. He's a Scott Boris represented client. They're not gonna. They're not gonna pay him. What like they offered Carlos Correa? You know, in hindsight, it wasn't. It wasn't a bad contract when we know now he had the injury and everything else that came back with it, right? But he should have been getting eight, nine, ten year offers, right? And he wasn't from Houston. There, they had this arbitrary ceiling that they were going to go no more than five years or no more than six years. That's what they offered Carlos Correa. And that's likely what they're going to offer Alex Bregman. There's no chance he's staying there. Interesting stuff there from a former GM that has uh, his outlets and sources. And I pose the question, are teams getting ready to move on to the same roster building tactics that you see in the NFL and NBA with these blockbuster trades and whatnot? Because they're starting there there's teams that have you know tenured ownership that have this pedigree and they have a certain way of doing things and they get so dug in on it that they're okay with just moving on from pieces and you're seeing other teams start to be more aggressive in acquiring these pieces you just saw the Texas Rangers acquire an aging Max Scherzer for their number 3 ranked prospect in their farm system You see a guy like Lucas Giolito get traded at the deadline just because his contract was expiring and the team had no plans of offering him anything in free agency. So they said, let's get something for him while we can on this expiring deal. Do you think, Reggie, that we could start to see in the next few years MLB teams just go out and make these insane moves more often as they try to make pennant pushes, as we saw with the Rangers at the deadline. Be aggressive. Don't care about the farm system as much as you used to and value it as much as you used to when you have a chance to win today. It's. I think that this is a, a, a viable uh, hypothesis that you're putting forward because there's a few things with baseball that's changing, right? One of the things is, and this is not like immediately changing, but this has been changing over the last, I don't know, let's say five years to a decade in baseball is historically we saw that you got paid for what you had done as opposed to necessarily what you would do over the lifespan of that contract. And that was just kind of the way it was in baseball. And it seems like, you know, obviously with the, I guess, numbers revolution and you get sabermetrics in this kind of perspective of analytics in baseball, and understandably, you know, ownership has looked up and they're like, we would rather pay for players that will produce while they're playing as opposed to playing, paying for players that have produced and hope that, you know, they continue to produce somewhat while we're paying them big money. And so that's one of the shifts, right? And that's one of the things that might, inc- you know, incline a team towards being like, yeah, we know you're a good player right now, but if we give you the contract that you would like, 
is that going to handicap us in some way in the future right boom that's one um other than that like we're also seeing and i hate to say it because baseball historically and we've kind of all gotten used to this feeling that the the players union in baseball is the strongest one in sports and it might still be the case but it's not as strong as it once was yeah um we're seeing all of these labor unions you know lose some ground when it comes to their leagues and one of the ways in which i can see that with baseball is that we're getting closer and closer to like a de facto salary cap in baseball. And when you have that, one thing that allows is like from the labor perspective is it allows teams to not spend as much money, right? Because there's this cap. You're not going to spend over it or uh, whatever, even if it's like a soft cap, right? You're not going to spend wildly over it, which is the, what the luxury tax ultimately is supposed to be. And that's, you know, essentially what that's actually what you have. But it, it's starting to more and more work like a salary cap, right? With that being the case, now you then have to be even more concerned about what you're paying players. And so if you get to a certain point where someone like using the Alex Bregman example that you brought forward here, if you're looking forward and you're like, hey, let's project out. And if the if the you know, the math doesn't math for you, maybe now you're doing this thing where you're moving around. And so when you mentioned the NFL and the NBA, I was like, these are different circumstances. But I think you ultimately get to the same place in the NBA. Those big trades are more often happening because of individual players saying I, I don't see a future here. I would like to play somewhere else. In the NFL, I think this is a lot closer to what you might start seeing some as well. And I guess baseball, you can see some of that player, you know, led portion of it too. But you might start seeing teams look up and say, this is not worthwhile for us. Let's send you somewhere else where they're going to appreciate you, maybe want to pay you. And we can, you know, then extract some of the things that end up working, right? In other sports, it ends up being draft capital, but in this sport, it'd be prospect. And younger, you know, players earlier in that that developmental curve or in that payment curve, really, maybe players were still with arbitration, those types of things, and allow you to extend and open up windows more. And I guess the one other thing that I think about in the idea of why I view this as a plausibility is the more and more wild cards that you open up, the more teams that are available to get into the playoffs. And what we just saw with these Texas Rangers, you get in and you just have to win then, right? Like, Baseball used to be very much on this idea that, you know, you need to win your, you know, win your uh, division in order to get to the playoffs. Right. And that kind of, you know, made it harder for other teams to compete. But more and more in sports we're seeing in order to keep things interesting from longer in the season, more teams are allowed in the playoffs. But then you end up being getting a little bit closer to a random championship generator and teams understand the more of us can get in this. And so if we're aggressive. Hello, Texas Rangers, World Series champions. Mm -hmm. We give ourselves an opportunity to go do this, and maybe on the other end, that gives teams more incentive to go out and acquire those players that other teams are not willing to spend on. So I like this theory that you've put up, Medford, because it it might be where we're seeing baseball go. And I think another part of it that might play into the hand of this becoming a more common theme, and you could even see the full NBA approach of players coming out and saying, I don't see a future here, let's make something happen to get me out, is – some of the bigger dogs in the fight in Major League Baseball are becoming more and more okay with commitment. You're starting to see mm. more six, seven, eight, even 10-year deals. I mean, Basic has been saying that he's hearing teams wanting 12 years on a Shohei Otani deal. You know, they're okay with extending the commitment to meet financial, you know, considerations that they have in mind. So, you're starting to see more teams okay with rolling the dice on certain players and their longevity. You see it with the Texas Rangers and Jacob DeGrom. They're okay with giving them that long-term deal, knowing that there might be issues with that deal later on, but in the short term, you're hoping for great success with that. You're seeing the Rangers, you know, whenever they were still irrelevant, they're out here giving 
almost a decade-long deal to Marcus Simeon and then giving just that to Corey Seager. They're okay with doing these things just because it makes sense financially in the moment to push forward the next two or three years rather than the length of that deal. So I think you're starting to see where a lot of dominoes in play there are starting to fall to make it make sense. And even just one thing to tie it into the Rangers here, this comes from Abby Jones on Twitter. She uh, works for Bally Sports Southwest here locally. She reported yesterday that she is hearing that the Rangers are looking at Justin Foscue as a potential trade asset sure. this winter. And that 100% makes sense because Foscue yeah. is blocked, right? Your middle infield for the next five, six years, seven years is you know locked up. Corey Seager, shortstop, Marcus Simeon at second. And so Foscue being a middle infielder, now, especially being close, if not already at a level where he's ready to break into the majors, it doesn't make sense for him to remain there. And I think his biggest value to the organization is a trade piece. Exactly. And he's the number six ranked prospect in the organization, according to MLB Pipeline. And you just saw the exact same thing happen in the Scherzer trade. Your number three uh, ranked prospect, Luis Angel Acuna, you know, he is a phenomenal young talent that is probably going to be a very good Major League Baseball player down the road. He had no chance of playing here. Because even if you moved him to the outfield, who are you replacing? Adolis Garcia? Probably not, unless you trade him. Uh, Evan Carter? No. Leody Tavares? That's a tough ask. Wyatt Langford, whenever he comes up? There's just, there's so many reasons why these things make sense. And it felt like the Rangers, but even the rest of Major League Baseball, even as recent as a few years ago, were a lot more protective and a lot more proud of their farm systems to the point where they, no matter if they were balked or not, it was like, we're going to find a way to get this guy on the field someday in the bigs. That's not the case anymore. These teams are okay with trying to win now and moving on from those pieces, and they might get burned in the future. They might. But they're okay with it for the sake of winning today. So I think you could start to see the narrative change in terms of roster building with some of the teams, and it will gradually expand, but... You know, the, the smaller market teams like the Twins and whatnot, they're not going to change. They're not going to change the, the Tigers, probably. They're not going to sit here and make these blockbuster deals because they don't want to pay people. That's not, fine. Not unless more money comes in. Like, this is yeah. one thing that is interesting as, you know, the news of the day is that uh, Mark Cuban has sold a majority stake in the Mavericks is that bigger and bigger money has come into sports, right? And so it's... You know, as as the money gets bigger when it comes to the revenue deals, even, bi- you know, that's a growth potential that, you know, people that have a lot of money are now willing to get into. And so if you have some billionaire that just wants to own one of these teams because there is, a, you know, a finite amount of uh, professional sports teams that you can have in order to get in, the money is so big. And so if you're paying a lot of money in, it, it, you're, it, it, you are incentivized to put money in as well. And so you say the twins might not do that. But what happens if some billionaires like the twins are the only one I can get in on? Now I'm here. That's where I got the money. And now that can change the way that that thing operates. So it's possible that if we continue to see ownership turn um, in sports, that you see more teams available and open to doing this as there's just more money available in the sport. Just imagine if a team like the Baltimore Orioles had an owner that was willing to spend that way. They would be a superpower, and they already won over 100 games this past season. So it's just ridiculous to think how quick that narrative could twist. But just an interesting thought I had based off of that little nugget of information from Jim Duquette on MLB Radio on Sirius XM. Coming up next on the Get Right, an interesting segment here, Sports Illustrated publishing articles by fake AI-generated writers. Is that a problem or not? Next on the Get Right.
This segment of the Get Right is brought to you by Classic Chevrolet. Just announced Classic Chevrolet and Grapevine's one-time Trailblazer offload. A limited supply of excess new Trailblazer models will be sold direct to the public below market value. See them all at ClassicChevrolet.com. Don't wait. The best sell fast. Classic Chevrolet. Find new roads. Back here on the Get Right on 105.3 The Fan, Alec Medford and Reginald Atatula with you until 11 o'clock today. Full show coming up at the top of the hour. We're going to get you uh, up to date in case you missed the breaking news of the day. Mark Cuban selling his majority stake in the Dallas Mavericks. And we got some Vegas casino tycoons coming in, uh, taking that majority stake. It is Miriam Adelson. Uh, and the Adelson family taking control of that for $3.5 billion. We will get you up With a B? Yeah, with a B billion. That's a lot of money, man. We will get you up to date on that and have a little bit more conversation surrounding the future of the Dallas Mavericks coming up at the top of the hour. So don't go anywhere live on Twitch and YouTube as well. Dallas Fan Cam on YouTube and just search 105 through the fan uh, on YouTube. Excuse me, twitch.tv slash Dallas Fan Cam. But Reggie posed an interesting piece uh, to me during the break sports illustrated out here having some fun with ai and it's kind of terrifying yeah man um this is really interesting in the in the world realm of sports journalism as you know we continue to look around and kind of think about the ways in which the news that we get gets to us and obviously ai has been the trend of the tech world of late you know trying to integrate it in various places i'm interested do you, the general public, view this as a problem or not? Because I know for me personally, I have uh, opinions, but, you know, I exist in a place where I'm media trained, right? I went to, you know, I went to school for communications to have journalism training, these types of things. So this thing, you know, I'm not I'm not an unbiased observer, right, yeah. when I talk about these things. However, um, the website Futurism this week uh, published a piece entitled Sports Illustrated Published Articles by Fake AI-Generated Writers. And they did, you know, they did the work on this, and they went to find that Sports Illustrated, that is really, you know, fallen, I guess, that's a kind of a, you know, that's a word with some, you know, some judgment in it. I'm trying to be somewhat (laughs) neutral on this, but they are not the same Sports Illustrated of old, right? Like, I know that there's a lot of people that read a whole bunch of Sports Illustrated and had the art, you know, had the magazines come to their house and everything, had the subscriptions. Sports Illustrated of today is not the Sports Illustrated of 10, 20 years ago, um, even further back. Um, Currently, um, I mean, they talk about a particular um, writer, quote unquote, called Drew Ortiz. And this biography said, Drew has spent much of his life outdoors and excited to guide you through his never-ending list of best products to keep blah, 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 blah. Only problem was, outside of Sports Illustrated, you look around and Drew Ortiz doesn't seem to actually exist. No social media presence, no publishing history. Right. Usually you end up at Sports Illustrated. You've written, you've written somewhere else before. Yep. Not really anywhere. And the picture that uh, that was of, of his profile is actually on sale on a website that sells AI generated headshots. Right. And it was described as, quote, neutral white young adult male with short brown hair and blue eyes. Um, but with that being the case. Right. This is an AI generated author, I think, by all indications. Right. And so it's like. What is happening? This person does not exist. But at the bottom of the page, right, it would be a, a picture and like a, you know, a, a blurb or whatever. Um, and according to a second person involved in the creation of Sports Illustrated content um, who has to be anonymous, apparently it's not the reason why this has kind of been very hush hush is because, you know, it's not just the uh, the the supposed writers or their bios that are AI generated. It's not only that. You know, supposedly people within are saying that, you know, 
they AI is also churning out the content, right? Quote, Ooh. the content is absolutely AI generated, a second sort said, no matter how much they want to say that it's not. And so the arena group that now owns uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, once they were reached out to by Futurism, the, the you know, the uh, publication that was doing this article, all the AI generated authors disappeared from the site without explanation and no one no one responded. Right. Mm. But there's many there's many different um, supposed are authors uh, for Sports Illustrated that have, you know, high belief that they are AI, right, to leave some level of room for, you know, discussion here. And so with that being said, the idea, one, that you have these, that you have these supposed authors that are not actually real um, is one thing. How do you feel about that? But then also, how do you feel about the idea that the actual content that this sports website um, that previously had, like, just a really high reputation is now actually being AI generated. How does how does that make you feel? It's tough because like the whole AI thing is so polarizing because it's so cool, but it's so terrifying in so many different ways, both respectively. The, the thing about the content for me is I feel like a whole big chunk of what we do, you know, in the world of journalism as a whole is the human element. You know, I feel like a lot of pieces, a lot of especially... You know, stuff that makes you think a lot of the like the the article we just talked about uh, for the Cowboys at the top of the hour, you know, about the offense reaching its final form. You know, that was a thought from a human being that was put forward to other human beings. I I really love the human element of journalism. So I, I think when you're reporting stuff, I think that's where I'm a little bit more comfortable with it. But then people are going to start questioning the credibility factor of it as well because it's a computer putting all this together i would hope that it would be able to pull enough sources and have enough material to go off of you know being that it is such advanced technology to be a credible outlet well you say that but one of the things that we've seen with ai as much as we've talked about it as advanced uh, technology there's many instances where it is faulty where it is not it is not completely accurate and one of the things that's tough is also, when it comes to AI, any AI is trained off of other material. And so this really gets into a place where, and of course, this is my journalism brain in a way, where like, how can you have AI content that isn't plagiarism? That's very true. Right now, yeah. of course, I this is where we get to a, a different place where how much do individuals care about plagiarism when we're talking about uh, what they're reading? So that's that's like the, I guess, quote unquote, high-minded. Now, one thing that is evident, though, is that you're not getting as good quality content. Like yeah. it's sincerely, you're just, you're not getting the quality of thought put together because I know that if anybody has played with some level of um, generative AI is you find that, especially when it comes to prose, when it comes to writing, there's going to be faulty logic and you can call it out and you can twist it in places where it ends up giving you things that are nonsensical. And the thing that concerns me about that is that especially if it's not being disclosed, that ends up being in a bad place. And maybe the biggest thing for me, and this, you know, looking to the Twitch chat where some people are already responding, um, Swag Booty says it's laziness and cheapness by the media overlords, and Boss Lady T says it's all sad, really. And I think that's the thing that really gets me is I know that when we talk about AI, it can be kind of simplified into, oh, man, AI is not going to be good enough to replace you. And I, I, I sincerely believe that AI is just not going to be good enough to replace a human being. The problem is the people who are invested in the money side of these things 
saying, well, that doesn't matter enough. The money matters more. And then ultimately ending up with situations where you do not have people that are capable of the critical thinking um, because you have AI doing the job of somebody of a human and you're getting lesser quality content and lesser quality um, thoughts and things put forward to you. And the thing is, if you've ever played around with like a chat GPT or something, this is just very base level thinking in a way of looking at it. You notice that because of, like you said, Reggie, that, you know, it it learns off of other stuff that is already put out there by people and that stuff that already exists. A lot of the stuff it puts out is just kind of vanilla. It's kind of boring. Mm. You know, like I've played around with the chat GPT and stuff and like I even a couple times during the weekend, I would tell it to give me the question of the day for AM on the FM just to see if it would give me something I couldn't think of. You know, something that like, oh, that's really creative. It was really bland. It's sure. just really surface level thinking. And not no Duran bland either. Yeah, not at all. Trust me. It's far from it. It's not impressive to any extent. And, you know, maybe that's something that with time, whenever it develops a little bit more, it starts to get a little more intuitive and a little more creative with itself. But right now, I just don't think it's strong enough, which is probably a good thing for it to be a real outlet for me to say, yes, I would use that to get my factual information. I love that, like, me being who I am, and I understand, I really appreciate and I understand who I am, and so, like, I understand the faults with it or whatever. I can be moralistic or whatever, high and mighty at times. I appreciate that you took it from the perspective of the consumer's probably just not getting good content. Yeah. Right? Like, it's probably just you're, you're, you're shorting the people on the other end, right? And on the text line, the truckwreck.com text line, 877-881-1053, um, from the 972, they said it's okay. Uh, they're okay with it as long as it's the objective truth. But in sports, the best articles are often ones with opinions and human emotions. And I think that goes to your point, is that the things that are really interesting – are the ones that are are the things that are really well thought out and and I mean to make it very simple the things that make you go hmm yeah and I mean I was listening to a podcast earlier today and one of the things they were talking about is like in especially in the NFL world the most looked up things are like power rankings quarterback rankings uh, mock drafts those types of things and I guess in theory you could get those um, you know in very you know AI generated or whatever. I think even those things, when those are good, it's because they have been dressed up in such a way that they have an interesting spin to them. And as that you were alluding to, I don't feel comfortable with the idea that AI is going to give you that. Plus, the thing that really scares me more than anything uh, with this particular story of uh, Sports Illustrated, a formerly you know giant in the media sports media space, um, is that they felt the need to try and hide this from you. Yeah, that that's a terrible look. <laughs> that is really really bad and. You know, it just shows the downfall is continuing. And I I feel like if you're at least transparent with this stuff to your audience, maybe that allows the room, one, for acceptance, and two, for growth. Because if you could just be transparent with it and say, look, we're going to try this out, and if you give us feedback, we can work on it, then maybe you start to see things get acceptable and interesting to an extent. But if you're going to try to hide it and shadow it, you know, it's just like the epidemic with the college essays, you know, people just saying, hey, write me a four page essay with this. You know, the credibility is gone, but it's it's just going to be hard to get that human element there for me that I, I, I think has become so important. And the, you put it best. It, the stuff in, in media now is the stuff that makes you go, hmm, that's why sports talk radio exists, because opinions and you don't get great opinions from artificially generated content.
I wouldn't say so. Uh, from the 469, they seem to, uh, Tolo Kid seems to believe that, you know, AI is simply a profit management service. Why hire people and pay wages when profit margins are shrinking, when the people we can afford will have the same level of quality? And I think that that's the big difference is that this, the quality is inherently worse. Um, I think so. Shout out to the 214, who's, who is where I am, and I tried to remove my bias. They said SI has been bad for a while now, too, and I think that you're seeing the, the places in which trying to have that, like, Simply bottom line driven and honestly, let's be honest, cheap mindset has le- has brought you to like the organization that SI already had that perspective. And I think it really is a uh, really does illustrate something that that's the organization that was like, we're going we're going to put the AI generated content. We're going to give you the fake people. Um, and that's the organization as opposed to other organizations that you might view higher that at least to our knowledge right now is not doing that. And so for me, I, I think it's a problem. But, you know, ultimately, I'm not the end all be all. Interesting conversation there. I feel like AI conversations always get so uh, just intellectual and sometimes moral. It's the future. It, yeah, it's the future. You know, I, I feel theory, like Squidward right now. That's what I've been told. Yeah. Future. I, I don't like it. it. Like, just as a whole, it scares me. It really does. No change. Stop, stop changing things. Yeah, just if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I think humans can be awesome sometimes. So let's just use them to the best of their ability. Why not? And speaking of humans being awesome, uh, Joe Pavelski is awesome because uh, in, in the second intermission, the Stars are up 1-0 on the Winnipeg Jets uh, and got the assist from Jason Robertson and Rope Hints there. And at the half, between the Rockets and the Mavericks at the double AC, the Mavericks are up by 454-250 in that matchup. We will keep you up to date on the latest in both of those games but speaking of the Mavs we're going to open up our number three with more conversation surrounding Mark Cuban's sale of his majority stake of the Mavericks and what's next and what lies ahead for the team we'll do that next on the get right T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.